Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. Hey, welcome this week to Bald Head Bible Podcast and week two of the Jonah series. I do want to give a shout out to Gwinnett Worth, my friend who posted on our Facebook page, Bald Head Bible Podcast. Um, please check us out on Facebook. She gave us a recommendation on Facebook, and I really appreciate that. She let me know how much she's enjoying the podcast, but also that she is using the podcast to supplement some of what she's learning in her own uh, Bible study with a group of other women through the book of Jonah. So thanks again, Gwinnett, for posting that. I really appreciate it. Let's dive right in to this week, Jonah sermon number two in the Jonah series. Welcome to Bald Head Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. Featuring the expository story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Jonah stood before that ticket counter. Remember, he came all the way down to this port city called Joppa. God wanted him to go northeast, but he went southwest. And he got as far away from God and what he wanted him to do. He went in the opposite direction, and here he is in the port city of Joppa, and about to board a boat, or maybe not, and I can imagine he's standing before the ticket counter, and that ticket counter lady is saying, hey, which will it be, sir, Tarshish or Nineveh? Where would you like to go? I wonder if Jonah's thinking, man, how silly it is to ignore God's call on his life. And, and maybe he was about to push the tickets away and, you know, follow God's will and go to Nineveh on his own. When I can imagine he saw out of the corner of his eye the headline in the Jerusalem Post, Ninevites slaughter thousands. And he saw there in the gift shop another bumper sticker that read, Down with Assyrians, up with Israelians. You know, I can imagine he sees all this and he thumps his fist. He hates the Assyrians. He hates them with a passion. And he does not want them to experience the love of God. And he does not want them to repent. And he does not want Yahweh reaching out to them. No, there is no way he's going to go go there and show them his God's mercy. So he took the ticket to Tarshish, swipes his Hebrew national card, and he gets onto the boat. You know, I can imagine Jonah walking up the plank to the boat and steps on the plank, sees the boat in front of him, looks behind. He's finally leaving Israeli soil. In his brain, he's probably thinking, I am finally leaving the presence of the Lord because I think somehow he must have tricked himself into thinking that God is only present when you're in Israel. 
there's this view in that culture at the time that certain gods ruled certain territories. So the Assyrians worshipped one god, and that god ruled that territory. Certain local deities had control over certain areas, and maybe Jonah bought into that in some weird way, that Yahweh was only God over Israel, and his presence could only be found there, and now he's on the boat, a boat from Phoenicia who had a totally different other god. Maybe he thinks, I've done it. I'm away from the presence of the Lord, you know. I can imagine he gets on the boat and he goes downstairs and begins to unpack his bags. And, you know, he begins to do what you're supposed to do on a big boat. Rearranges the deck chairs, laid on some of them, suntan. You know, runs to the front of the boat and, and, and leans out over the bow and yells out, I'm king of the world, because that's what you're supposed to do on a boat, you know. Maybe he played shuffleboard on the deck with one of the other tourists, you know. And I can imagine he's about to score the winning point. When he heard it, it was a slow rumbling. Then he looks up and he sees a dark cloud starting to form. By this point, the boat's out into the Mediterranean, you know, and Jonah thinks he's on his way to Tarshish, far away from the presence of the Lord, when the storm comes out of nowhere. And it's the strongest wind that had ever hit that boat. It was as if someone had taken a storm and hurled it right at the boat. You know what? That's what scripture says. In Jonah chapter 1 verse 4, it says, The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest. God hurled this wind at the boat. He is not letting Jonah run away. God hurled the storm at the boat, and he did it not to punish Jonah. He's trying to bring him back to his senses. He's saying, Jonah, no, you're going in the wrong direction. You have got to come back. You know, I think that's true in our lives, isn't it? You know, you run away from God's will. You're heading in an opposite direction. And later on, you do come back and you can look at how God has used certain things in your life to bring you back. Maybe a wise friend. Maybe a wise Christian friend. Maybe a loss of a job. Maybe an accident. Something. Maybe it seemed horrific at the time, but God used that to bring you back because he wants to keep you on track for his plan for your life since you're his child. This is mercy, even though it seems like tragedy. And I can see that that's what's happening to Jonah here. God hurls this wind at the boat and big waves and Jonah and the men are tossed to and fro and this is a tempest like they've never seen now I said this boat was from Phoenicia right now these are Phoenician sailors and they are considered some of the greatest sailors navigators mariners of the sea of all time but throughout this chapter they are scared to death of this storm they've never seen a storm like this and if they haven't seen a storm like this this is some pretty special storm, and so it is rocking their boat. It is knocking them all over the place. And what's Jonah's reaction? It says in chapter 1, he goes below deck, and he falls asleep. He just falls asleep. I mean, number one, how do you sleep on a rocking boat? I don't get that. But number two, 
Jonah knows what the problem here is. This boat's about to sink. He could solve this problem for all the men that are suffering around him. But does he? No. Does he care about any of the people around him at all? No. He's more interested in getting a snooze. The mariners and the sailors, it says they start crying out to their God for help. And in the middle of all that, Jonah cold-heartedly just goes to sleep. I mean, the sailors, they start throwing cargo overboard to lighten the boat. Because if you have a lighter boat, maybe you can stay on top of the water. And then the waves don't sink you as bad. And that's a lot of work. And what does Jonah do? Sleeps through it all. As they're chucking cargo and luggage overseas over the edge into the water, Jonah, lazy, cold-hearted Jonah just sleeps. And maybe he couldn't have chucked stuff overboard. He didn't know all the knots and how to undo them. But you know what Jonah could have done in the middle of this huge storm? He could have been praying. He could have been praying on behalf of the people on the boat. He could have been, you know, he could have been pleading for God's mercy. But Jonah cared so little for these people. You know, in his brain, they they weren't Jews. They were Gentiles. And they're from Phoenicia. And who cares about them? Finally, the sailors are like, this isn't right. What's happening here? The the storm is great. And they say, you know what we're going to have to do? Let's cast lots because clearly my God's not answering me. The sailor turns to another, hey, is your God answering you? No, it says every one of them was calling out to their God. Because again, the Phoenicians had a god. Maybe they had a whole little local deity in their house, in their own little city or village. And they're calling out to various gods, but nobody's answering. And this storm is getting worse. But they know this storm seems supernatural. Something is causing the storm. So they just say, Let's cast lots. And again, as they're being battered with water and being knocked around, somebody gets a bag. And maybe somebody had a lot bag. Because back in the ancient Near East, to find out the will of a god, and sometimes in the Bible, God, Yahweh, uses lots to show his people what he wants them to do. You know, so it wasn't unusual in the ancient Near East. Maybe somebody had a bag full of lots or some maybe somebody broke straws. But I can imagine somebody got a bag. Hey, I've got a lot bag. And they bring it over. And in that bag and in that bag, they open it and they'll have various marbles. And all of them are one color except one. I can imagine the sailors are standing there and they're like all right let's draw lots you know and they go down and they and they wake up jonah hey let's draw a lot for that that guy down there you know and and they, all right maybe they drag him up hey jonah you gotta draw some lots here and so they open the bag and all right let's count them out let's there there's six of us so or eight or ten i don't know how many were on the boat but they had you know i'd say ten people they would have nine one colored stone and one oddly colored stone. So if there were 10 people, nine would be the same color. And one would be a different color. And whoever drew that, the lot fell on them. And so I can imagine in the middle of the storm, they're counting out, right, all these sailors, right, pull it, count them out, put them in there. All right, and then that one colored stone, they put it in there. They shook the bag up. All right, stick your hand in, Dave. And Dave sticks his hand, then rumbles around. 
and pulls out. Oop, it's black. And, and that's the color that the lot is going to be a white stone, you know, in our story. But all the stones are black except for one. Nope, you're, you're good. It's not you, Dave. And they go, okay, Steve, stick your hand in there. Sticks his hand down and pulls out. Oh, it's a black stone. Nope, it's not you. Okay, Lawrence, stick your hand out. Sticks it in and pulls out a stone. Nope, it's black. And they go around from sailor to sailor to sailor. And then they come to Jonah. Maybe he's the 10th sailor out of 20. Maybe he was the last sailor. I don't know, but Jonah sticks his hand down in. We're going to make him 15th out of 20. There's five stones left. He sticks his hand out. And he knows probably what's happening here. He knows this is his fault. And I can imagine he sticks his hand down. He's thinking, oh, I hope I don't pull out that white stone. I hope I don't pull out that white stone. He grabs the stone. He pulls it out. And it's the white stone. The lot fell on Jonah. And the sailors step back. And right away in Jonah chapter 1, they start asking him all sorts of questions. They ask him, number one, who are you? Number two, they go, what's your name? And he probably answered Jonah. And then somebody asks him, hey, what's your occupation? Which I think is an odd thing to ask somebody in the middle of a storm. You'd think you'd want to get quickly to the point, but you always get that one person, you know, who likes to ask that useless question. So they ask, according to Jonah chapter 1, Who are you? What's your name? What's your occupation? And then they ask him, Where are you from? Jonah steps back. And he just tells him, hey, it says in Jonah chapter 1, he says, I am a Hebrew. Right away, the Phoenicians knew, hey, they're, he's not from Phoenicia. He's from Israel where we just left. He goes, I'm a Hebrew. Then he says, I am the prophet of the one true God. I'm the prophet of Yahweh who created the land and the sea. Right there, Jonah shows he knew better. To, than to think he could run away from the presence of the Lord. I mean, right there he says that I, I worship and I serve the, the, the living God. And I serve him. And he goes, it says there in Jonah chapter 1 verse 9, he says, I serve the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And it says there in verse 10 that the men were exceedingly afraid. Because again, their gods were localized. Their little G-gods were stuck. And today we'd probably call them demons of some kind. But sometimes a demon of a mountain, a demon of a forest, a demon of a village, a little god that was useless beyond that. They were just trying to somehow reach their god who was miles away. But here they encounter a new god. They encounter a God named Yahweh, who is the Lord of the land and the sea. I mean, that is news to these sailors. And such news as it says that they became exceedingly afraid. And then they say something really interesting to Jonah. They say, what is this that you have done? Because it says, therefore, the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. 
the men are essentially saying to Jonah, what have you done to us? You're running from the presence of the Lord. And look, the trouble that it's caused. What have you done? Hey, I just want to remind everybody that your sin hurts other people. When you think, well, this little private sin that I've got hurts me and I struggle with it. No. Sin in all its forms, it hurts other people. And when you choose to have a bad attitude, you know what that does? It hurts the other people around you, in your family, in your school, at work, wherever it happens to be. If you choose to follow the God of lust and say, I'm going to dive into some stuff I know I shouldn't, it's going to hurt your marriage. It's going to hurt your relationship with your kids and your God. Sin hurts other people. And Jonah knew that. But he was asleep in that boat. And he didn't care till they had to wake him up to get up there to draw lots. So they ask him, Jonah, hey, what have you done to us? And then they ask him, what should we do to calm the storm? What should we do? And Jonah answers, throw me into the sea. I think that's such an interesting answer. Jonah's answer. I wonder if Jonah was depressed at this point. I mean, you'd think maybe, hey, if we all prayed to God and, and ask him to be our God. But no, Jonah, his answer, is, it seems so defeatist. And he's definitely, again, he's not trying to reach these men with the news of his God, right? He's not trying to turn them into worshipers of the one true God. Maybe he could have said, hey, turn around this boat, head back to Joppa, and guess what? This storm will stop if you turn the boat around and head back to Joppa. It'll all stop. But no, instead he says, Curl me into the sea. Just throw me overboard. Again, I think this is the sign of a depressed individual. He's that angry at God. He does not want to go to the Ninevites. And in some ways, I think he's saying, I would rather die out here in this ocean than follow God's call on my life. But the men, these pagan men who did not know Yahweh, they're smarter than, jo than Jonah. They're way smarter. They're like, we can't do that. Number one, it wouldn't be, we, we, we don't want to just kill people. But they say, number two, we don't want your blood in our hands. They're worried a little bit about what, God, what Jonah's God is going to do to them if they kill Jonah. Again, they are wiser than the man who's supposed to be following th that God, you know? So J Jonah says, throw me overboard. But the men are like, no way. So they begin to row and they start to try to row against that storm. And I can imagine they all go downstairs because sometimes on the bottom of the boat, they would have these holes where they could put out big oars. And maybe they tried to row against the storm. They try to get out of it. And somebody said, all right, let's row, row, row. But the storm, it just gets worse so finally they look at each other and I can imagine Joan is up top hanging on to the mast getting hit by water while the men below are trying to row and the men are like we can't do anything captain it's not going anywhere 
We're going to have to do what that Hebrew said. All right. So they go back upstairs. And they grab Jonah. And again, strong winds. Rain hitting the boat and this huge, massive storm. People vomiting because it is a horrible storm up and down. So they grab Jonah. I can imagine one grabs him by his arm and another man grabs him by the other arm. And then somebody grabs him by his leg and another person grabs him by his leg. And they all say, all right, throw him overboard. <laughs> Going back and forth. And they're like, but wait before we throw him overboard. They prayed, Lord, Yahweh. Again, these men were at, before this whole storm, before they met Jonah, they were worshiping another God, and now they're praying to Yahweh. And they say, Lord, in the middle of this horrible storm, Yahweh, please do not count this man's blood on our hands. You have done as it pleases you, O Lord. Please do not let us die because of this guy's stupidity is essentially what they're saying. And they go, one, all right, two, and then finally three, and they watch Jonah arc into the air. And they see him in the middle of the rain, and then he hits the water, and storm's over. It says in Jonah chapter 1 that the minute Jonah hits that water, the sea becomes calm. I can imagine calm, calm as a piece of glass. It says there in Jonah's chapter 1 that the sea just ceased from its raging. And when the men saw that, then it said the men feared the Lord, feared Yahweh exceedingly. And they began to offer sacrifices to Yahweh. And they began to make their vows to this new God. Right there, Jonah, whether he wanted to or not, I think he just had a whole bunch of converts to following God. But it's calm. Jonah's in the middle of this calm water. And he's like, wow, that happened fast. And the men, you know, with a gentle breeze in the boat, they head out. They keep going. And Jonah, you know, he maybe waves at the boat. Hey, see you guys. Maybe begins to paddle around a little. And he's like, hey, you know what? Maybe I can make it out of here. I wonder how far I am from land. And maybe he starts to paddle a bit. You know, he does the doggy paddle, you know, and starts to... And then he starts to swim, you know, he's like, okay, I got this. I got, I think, and, and the water's sort of warm. It's not too bad out here, and it's so smooth. I don't want to save those stupid Phoenicians anyway, and maybe this is better, you know. And who knows where these waves will take me, you know. And then he sees a shadow below him. He looks down in the water, and he sees a dark shadow. Dun, dun. He's like, uh-oh. Then he sees another dark shadow. Dun, dun. And he watches that dark shadow slowly circle around him. Dun, dun. 
Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-